Welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Brown, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Sullivan, who's co-host the Cool Zone Pod, and Mike Ayula, the co-host of the Foxborough Files. Fellas, how we doing? We are fantastic, Ryan. How are you doing this evening? Yeah, don't everyone talk at once. Good, good start. A lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm <laughs> from these guys today. So uh, now we may be a little less than two weeks away from Super Bowl 55, but with the matchup now set, I say it's time to jump in and break it down. So that's what we're going to be doing, analyzing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. But before we do, let's go back and we're going to review each team's road to the Super Bowl. So we'll start with the NFC champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming into this game at 14 and five. They have become only the fifth team, the fifth team in NFL history to win three playoff games on the road to make it to the Super Bowl. The other, to do that, they beat the football team, the New Orleans Saints, and the Green Bay Packers, all division winners, making them only the fourth team ever to beat three division winners on the road to make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, of those other four teams uh, that I mentioned, um, well, that I'm about to mention, actually, uh, they joined the 85 Patriots, the 05 Steelers, the 07 Giants, and the 2010 Packers uh, as the only teams to win three road playoff games to make the Super Bowl. The last three of those teams went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Uh, so, Mike, I'll start with you. What's one thing that stood out to you about the Bucks' run this season? Well, before I get into what stood out to me about them, it should be noted that although they did go through three division winners, one of those division winners had a sub-500 record. So that <laughs> game was basically a layup for them, especially considering they went away, went into it as eight and a half point favorites. Hey, facts um, are facts, Mike. Facts said, are what, facts. What me, that is true. That, that is true. What stood out to me this year is, I mean, what else? Tom Brady's adjustment to the new system. He went in there and continued to dominate just like he did for 20 years in New England. The guy's an ageless wonder and he keeps doing it year in, year out. He, he leaves Bill. He goes to Bruce Arians, which is more of an air raid system, less of a dink and dunk underneath. Josh McDaniels types of and he still put up fantastic numbers the turnovers were up but so were um i think the passing yards were relatively high this year i think it might have been the second highest of his career if i remember correctly i'm not 100 on that he had a lot of touchdown passes um and he he had a lot of great weapons around him too probably the best receiving core i think he's ever had mike evans chris godwin for half the year antonio brown scotty miller's nothing to slouch yet he had three quality receiving tight end options and Gronk, Cameron Brait, and O.J. Howard. Uh, the dynamic duo of Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette slash now playoff Lenny. Um, you know, it, it's, it, this is just what Tom does, and now he's doing it with a better cast than he's ever done it. Um, props to him for getting to his 10th Super Bowl. Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, it, it looked – it felt like watching the Bucs this season, it felt <laughs> like a like a Patriots season in the sense that, like, they – they were, you know, they weren't, like, great out of the gate. They were a little slow. They lost week one. They kind of struggled. Like, week eight or nine came around, and you were like, man, what's going to happen with them, so-and-so? And then 
they just, you know, December came around, Thanksgiving, then into the, the holiday season, and they put their foot on the gas, and and everything came together at the right time of the year. You want to be playing good at this time of year, and that's what they're doing, just like the Patriots would. And uh, I'm not surprised that they made the Super Bowl. They were my preseason pick. So vindicated Humble on that. Brag. All the haters. <laughs> For me, it's it, the one thing that stood out is – the defense and how they've stepped up in big spots this year. Green Bay comes to town undefeated. They absolutely spanked them in the playoffs. The defense hasn't been great, but they've made plays when they need to. Example last week in the conference championship against the Packers, Brady throws three interceptions, three straight drives. What does the defense do to pick them up? Force three straight three and outs. I mean, it's just when they, when their number has been called and they've had to make plays, they have. They've made stands when they had to. And, yeah, I, I'm Jonathan, I have to agree with Jonathan. The way that they've played, there's no surprise that they are here. Now, their opponents will be the AFC champion, the defending champions of the National Football League. That would be the 16-2 and two Kansas City Chiefs. They are the 11th defending champion to return to the Super Bowl the following year. Uh, the, f- the first 10 went eight and two going for the repeat. So there's some pretty good luck behind them going up in for the repeat. They defeated Cleveland and Buffalo en route to return to the Super Bowl. And Patrick Mahomes uh, will become the youngest quarterback ever to play in back-to-back Super Bowls at the age of 25. Uh, so, Jonathan, what's one thing that stood out to you about the Chiefs' run to make it back to the Super Bowl? Just how consistently dominant they are. I mean, they – we should be talking about this team, um, you know, as one of the best ever, in my opinion, honestly. Like, this is, this is, this is a dynasty – that is, is forming right before our eyes in Kansas city. And I see no reason why they can't be back next year too, in this scenario, but this year, I mean, they were 14 and two. They, they barely lost the Oakland game back in the beginning, like middle of the season. Then they lost week 17 cause they sat everyone, but just utter dominance. And Patrick Mahomes is, this is probably in my opinion, this is going to be a battle of the, in, you know, 10 years, you're going to be talking about Brady and Mahomes as one-two for the quarterbacks in NHL history. And it's nice to see that they're uh, facing off in the Super Bowl. And if I think if I think Casey wins this game, I think it's like a de facto, uh, like, passing of the torch almost from, you know, the old guy to the, uh, the young guy taking his spot. And Casey just – they're dominant. I mean, they get the best offense – consistently of any team I've probably ever seen. Like, I mean, the Broncos had a really nice offense with Peyton Manning, but I mean, this you're talking, this is like three straight years of just a completely dominant offense. And I see no reason why it won't continue. It's, it's absurd. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree more kind of piggybacking off what, what Jonathan said, this, this feels like a dynasty. Patrick Mahomes has been in the league three years now. He started three AFC championship games, and this will be his second Super Bowl. In his last 26 games started, he's won 25 of them. It took Oakland putting up 40 points and having 
the game of their season to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the only time Mahomes has lost in his last 26 starts was it's like the other team putting up 40. This feels like a new dynasty. And yeah, if, if Mahomes wins Sunday, not only does it feel like a passing of the torch, but it feels like, okay, if there's one guy who can catch Brady, get six Super Bowls, go to a ridiculous amount of Super Bowls, it's this guy. He, he feels like, not to be cliche, but the chosen one, like the guy who was meant to get the torch, the guy who was meant to come in and become the face of the league, the guy who was meant to say, here is the bar. It is unbreakable, but I'm going to break it. He's quite literally hashtag built different. So, I mean, when you look at what they are, they are a product of the chosen one. And what he brings to the table is is something we've never seen before at the quarterback position. Yeah. For him to to get concussed the way he did in that game, playing on a turf toe, mind you, at the time, and the way he looked so out of it when he got concussed in that game against the Browns, and to have one week and to not only get over the turf toe, but recover from the concussion and have an outstanding game against the the sec the next best team in your conference. I mean, what more can you say about Patrick Mahomes? So yeah, I mean, for me though, the one thing that stood out is just the dynamic duo of Kelsey and Hill. Hill hasn't had an amazing season, but he's been really, really great for them. And Kelsey is the one who's having the exceptional season. Uh, easily the best tight end in the league and nobody's been able to slow the both of them down at once just about the entire season it's been they've been unstoppable between those two and Mahomes it's just it's just a trio that if they stick around and they have the core around them like they do now yeah dynasty for sure because how 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 do you stop that how do you stop all that with the speed and, and other other skill position guys they have around? It's it's tough. Um, so let's let's get into the go ahead, Mike. I just had a quick question. This kind of made me think. You know, it it kind of harkens back to a similar cross sport comparison. Do do those three Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill feel almost as inevitable? in terms of like a dynasty as that Warriors big three a few years ago where you just kind of knew year in, year out, there's nothing you can do. They're going to win. The only thing that can derail them is injuries. Does this feel almost more inevitable than that? And almost no, it's not more inevitable. It's not, it's not more inevitable on the sole fact that they only play one side of the ball. The Warriors play both sides of the ball. And so they have to rely on other players as well. Mm -hmm. And with the NFL playoffs, it's one and you're done. So one bad game out of, out of those guys, if it, if it all comes, if they all have a mediocre game at once, it's in the playoffs, it's presumably they're done. They're toast. You can, with the Warriors, you have one bad clunker of a game. You still have two more strikes to play with before you're up against the wall. So at least for me, yeah, I would say the Warriors are definitely more inevitable. But the, I do like the comparison, Mike. It's it's not ridiculous, but you def, I would definitely have to go Warriors in that comp. 
Right. I, I do think it's a bit of a reach. And I think it's just in terms of the sport, um, it, it is the closest thing that I can think of to something like that. Obviously, you guys are right in saying it. One bad game, you're out versus one bad game. The Warriors, we're going to dust you in five anyways. So I, I do think it's, it is a slight reach, but it was a reminder to me of, of how inevitable that felt. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I digress. Yeah, so let's get into the position group breakdown. We're going to go through and break down all of the matchups by position. Uh, we're going to start with the offensive skill position players first. So we're talking quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, for me, I'll start. I'm not going to lie. It's, I think it's a push. So let me go through the four positions. For, for quarterback, I give the edge to Kansas City. They've got Mahomes. Brady's clearly just beating father time at this point. What he's doing is nothing short of outstanding, but he's he's not in his prime like Mahomes is. He's not the level of quarterback that Mahomes is at this time. So you have to give the edge at quarterback to the Chiefs. At wide receiver, I give the edge to the Bucks. They just have more depth and more impact players at that specific position. When you're talking about the guys like you mentioned, Mike, of Godwin, Evans, uh, Antonio Brown, and even death pizzas like Scotty Miller and Ty Johnson are, are more than capable of making plays in big spots to help con- push the chains, uh, keep drives going. You look at the Chiefs, and after Tyreek Hill, you go to guys – like Nicole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle. And it's just speedsters that just don't have any consistency. You can throw Sammy Watkins in the mix too, but he's no different in terms of they might go for a hundred yards one game, but then you get an absolute clunker out of them the next one. So I, I, I give the edge at wide receiver to the Bucks, And at tight end, you have to give the edge to the Chiefs because of Kelsey. Cameron Brait has been solid. Gronk filling in has has been fine but neither of them are Kelsey so you give I give the edge to the Chiefs there here's where it gets a little interesting and where I think I'm going to lose the both of you I think the Bucks have a slight edge at running back and here's why I think Kansas City has the more depth and more impact players at the position but I don't know if they're going to be able to make an impact right now You've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell, who are both hurt and have both been limited in their usage, if used at all, in the last several weeks. And they've been turned into Daryl Williams over the last handful of games. If it's Daryl Williams versus Leonard Fournette, I'm taking Leonard Fournette. And with how it's gone, with Bell... And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I'm not sure if two weeks is enough time to get them healthy. And even if it is, I don't know if they're going to have enough usage to make an impact. So f- the way I see it, if it's Fournette and Darrell Williams, give me Fournette. So I give the edge to the Bucks. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Mike, I'll start with you. So I agree for the most part with your position group rankings. I think you hit the nail on the head in defining all those groups. However, I would give the overall edge to the Chiefs, and here's why. Your weapons are only as good as your play caller. And from where I'm sitting, 
Eric Bieniemy it's his heads and shoulders above Byron Leftwich. The system he's created to utilize all of that speed. Yes, Miko Harden is not great, but as you saw on Sunday, they ran a jet sweep and he took off for 50-something yards. You know, they get those little dump-offs to Tyreek Hill. He makes a 71-yard play. No one on the Bucks is doing that. They've got some some nice players, but a lot of their system is just air raid, air raid, air raid, and then crossing routes. It's it's a very simplified passing system that's designed to, to thrive off the play action and stretch out the defense. The Chiefs are going to stretch you not only vertically, they're going to stretch you horizontally. The way their system is designed, you have to guard 66 and a quarter feet or 66 and a third feet across the field because of Hill. And while you're busy doing that, Mahomes is going to dump it off to Kelsey over the middle of the field, or he's going to let Hardman run down on a streak, or Marcus Robinson is going to get in behind the defense, or God forbid if Sammy Watkins ever gets healthy again, he he's going to run a nice route and get open. So I think that in analyzing the position groups, you've hit the nail on the head where the Bucks have the edge at wide receiver and running back, the Chiefs at quarterback and tight end. But I don't think the disparity is huge at any of those positions outside of tight end. And I do think that the Chiefs have a better play caller. So for that reason, I like the Chiefs' skill positions better. Yeah, uh, Ryan, I, I'm more in line of your thinking. I, I also would put it – I think if you were to rank them, it would be like a push. Like they would each get um, – you could like even it out. But I just think Kansas City's offense just operates at a better like functioning rate than – Tim was so like if you were if you were to draft like the players like your top six might each you might have three from Tampa and three from Kansas City like I'm just thinking about it like in my head but I just Kansas City's offense scores and moves at a way that Tampa Bay's offense just doesn't it just simply can't because right now Tom Brady as good as he is he is not at the level of Patrick Mahomes and I would think I think Tyreek Hill is the best like wide receiver like I would take Harry Hill over Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, and those two just have an absurd connection. And uh, but I do agree with your running backs, Ryan. You thought I wouldn't, but uh, yeah, Clyde and and Le'Veon Bell are both hurt. And Mike, you were talking about the their dynasty positional players, and I think that we should be thankful because it's still early. But I, I was just looking at the two running backs taken after Clyde Edwards-Helaire, and they are DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor, and I. From what I've seen, I would take both of them much. I would much rather have either of them than Clyde Edwards-Helaire going forward if I was Kansas City. Um, but yeah, I, I got to give the slight edge to Kansas City just because I think their offense just operates at a much faster pace than Tampa Bay does. Yeah, you know, and if if I had to choose between the the Kansas City positional uh, skill position players and the Bucks. if I had to choose one, I'll take Kansas City. But I just think if you break it down into those four position groups, I think it's a push. And so hence why I say it's a push. But I agree for the reasons that you guys gave, I 100% agree. If you just look at it as the total offense, uh, yes, you absolutely take Chiefs offense over the Bucks offense. But if you're just looking at the skill position players, the, the positions as a group, I think it comes down to a push. Um, let's move on to offensive line. Uh, Jonathan, which offensive line would you rather have? I would rather have Tampa Bay's offensive line because uh, Kansas City's one of their best offensive linemen, Eric Fisher, just uh, hurt his Achilles in the AFC Championship game, and he's already out. 
uh, former number one overall pick kind of hasn't lived up to the hype, but he's been a solid uh, professional in the NFL for a long time. And my guy, Tristan Werfs, that stud, he's coming along. Uh, and I just, I like, I like, um, I like Tampa Bay's uh, offensive line. And this would also go in when I think about which offensive line I would have there. One, I think they're better than Kansas City's two offensive line. But two, I would much rather have them in this game because of the opposition they're going up. I think they face a much less, uh, uh, much less fierce pass rush, rush than uh, Kansas City's offensive line uh, will face from the opposition, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Mike? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and to top it off, um, Fisher's out for the year. Mitchell Schwartz already suffered what I believe is a season-ending injury. He's their right tackle. So both their starting tackles are out. And Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who was a starting guard last year, he opted out at the beginning of the year. So 60% of last year's offensive line that was on that Super Bowl-winning team, not there this year. And I can't speak to the other two positions. I'm not quite sure if there were free agent moves there or not. But Tampa Bay's offensive line has been rock solid. Jonathan, your guy, Wurfs, has been phenomenal at right tackle. Donovan Smith has really stepped up at left tackle this year. The inside led by Ryan Jensen and Allie Marpet. Those guys have really created holes for Rojo and playoff plenty to thrive this year. They have one of the better lines in football. I think it's, it's Tampa Bay by a pretty wide margin in this one. Yep, I agree for the reason that you said. Uh, Tampa Bay's O-line was rated fifth by pro football focus uh, in the regular season. Uh, while Kansas City finished 11th. And then when you consider the health of both lines and the injuries that you guys have talked about, it's a no-brainer. You've got to have – you would you got to pick the – take the, the Tampa Bay O-line over the KC O-line at this point, uh, especially with how well uh, the, the, the Tampa O-line has done keeping Brady upright and keeping him uh, from being pressured. So got to go bucks here. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. We'll do the front seven. Uh, now this is going to get a little, a little complicated because the, the chiefs don't really work with a, a typical base formation. They like to m play out of more of dime and nickel, which means they've got more, more pl secondary players uh, than, and less at the linebacker position. But Mike, uh, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, which, I guess, D-line and linebacker group would you rather have, Tampa's or Kansas City's? For me, it's Tampa Bay, and it's not particularly close. Um, you get a healthy Vita Vea back last week, and Dama Kung Su, post-prime but still quality, still playing on that defensive line. And I think without question, they have the best linebacker core in football. You got Shaq Barrett and JPP coming off the edge, still getting out after it fierce getting after the quarterback and probably the two best middle, like the best middle linebacker duo in the league and Devin White, who's a blur out there on the field. I mean, he's sideline to sideline like that. And Levante David, who's been one of the more underrated linebackers in the league for a long time, a tackling machine, the quarterback of that defense. Um, that front seven is, is phenomenal. When, when I look at the chiefs, I really only see, you know, Chris Jones is a monster in the middle, but other than that, you got Frank Clark, who's a good pass rusher, but, probably a step below Barrett at this point, maybe, maybe closer to the level of JPP. Um, you got Derek Nottie, who's an okay defensive lineman, pro probably better than that, slightly above average defensive lineman, but the rest of the guys are pretty forgettable. You don't really think of any key names there. So for me, you look at Tampa Bay and their front seven has been their backbone this year on defense. 
they're one of the best in the league and they're the favorites. They're the favorable side in this matchup. Yeah, I have to, I have to parrot exactly what Will Mike said. I mean, I'm looking at their front seven right here. Nandamakin Sue, JPP, Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett. They have five of their front seven are are basically household names. I mean, that's that's like unheard of in the NFL. And especially Devin White, he's been an absolute stud the last couple of weeks. Shaq Barrett is an absolute monster. He had a sack last week. It was one of the best sacks I've ever seen, the way he timed out the snap count. Uh, they're, they're filthy. They, they have probably the best front seven in the entire league. So, obviously, I'm going to take them over uh, Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City has a couple – a pair of pro bowlers on their D-line and the aforementioned Chris Jones and Frank Clark. They're great up front for the Chiefs. But like you guys said, the Bucks just have way too many guys, way too many playmakers up front with Nantabakinsu, Vita Vey, uh, and then that exceptional linebacking group that Mike spoke to with JPP being a pro bowler. Um, the Chiefs just don't have that depth or playmaking ability in the front seven, so which is why they have to play those more dime and nickel packages that I mentioned earlier. So yeah, give me the Tampa Bay front seven or their D line and linebacking groups any day of the week. And for secondary, I'll start. I'm actually going to go with the chiefs here. I think this is a close one, especially with Tampa Bay expected to get uh, their safeties, Jordan Whitehead and Antoine Winfield jr. Both back for the game. But I really think the versatility and the impact of the Kansas City safeties in Tyron Matthew and Daniel Sorensen is the edge here for me. Uh, Those two not only make big plays, but they're just utilized in all sorts of different schemes. They're all over the place and on the field, different personnel groupings. Uh, So I won't be surprised if they make an impact throughout the game. Uh, So I'm going to give... Kansas City, the slightest of edges here uh, in the secondary. Jonathan, what about you? I agree with you, Ryan, that I think it's very close. Uh, it, it's almost a push, but I'm, I'm going to give the slight edge to Tampa Bay if they can get um, those two guys you mentioned, uh, Whitehead and Winfield Jr. back. Winfield Jr. Ha- is a rookie. He's been He's been Basically, he's been like a stud. He was like, he's going to get votes for defensive rookie of the year. He's probably not going to win it, but he's going to get some votes and stuff like that. Carlton Davis, solid. Uh, he was okay last week. He, he shut out Michael Thomas the week before. Literally held slant boy to a goose egg. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see because Hill utterly dominated the secondary the first time they played. But just on paper, I mean, Sorensen and Matthew, they're nice players for Kansas City. But I just – I give the i give the ed- slight edge to Tampa Bay. I just think when you go across the board, they got a little bit – just a little bit more talent. Man, so we got – so we got one saying slightly for the Chiefs. We got one saying slightly for the Bucks. I'm going to split the difference. I actually see a push um, – not to be boring and, you know, kind of not make a decision, but my initial instinct Ooh. was actually a push before you even asked me. Um, 
Matthew, I think, is clear-cut the best secondary player out of both position groups. He's phenomenal, has been for a long time. He's everywhere on the field. He, he's basically – he's very similar to Jamal Adams in terms of style of play, and he puts up similar numbers. He just doesn't get the respect. Um, but, but Whitehead was everywhere on Sunday. He forced two Aaron Jones fumbles, one of which the Bucks were able to recover and turn into points. Uh, like Jonathan was saying, Antoine Winfield Jr., phenomenal rookie. He and Sorensen kind of balance each other out. And when I look at the secondaries – very similar sets of top two corners. Um, Legereus Sneed was a fantastic UDFA find for the Chiefs this year, turned into their CB1. Rashad Breland's a fine CB2 on the other side. And as for their counterparts, Carlton Davis is a great cornerback one, even though Mark Marquez Valdez-Scantling beat him on a deep route Sunday. He was, for the most part, very good. And Sean Murphy Bunting is very serviceable as a CB2, kind of like Breland. I, I don't see much difference here, I think, I don't think this is where the impact is going to be had. I think both units are going to get lit up on Sunday, um, but they're fine units, and I, I think they're balanced out. All right. You know, I went push on the offensive skill position players, so I can't fault anyone else for going push at another at another positional group. Uh, but lastly, we got we to gotta give a little love to special teams uh, and, and break it down, that group. Uh, for me – I think the kickers and the punters are more or less a wash in, in this situation, but I think that the special teams groups as a whole uh, is actually in uh, uh, overwhelming favorite of one team. Uh, I'll wait to go last. So Jonathan, why don't you, you, you go ahead and give yours first. All right. Uh, for my special teams, I'm going to go with, I'm going to give the advantage to, Kansas City uh, personally on special teams just because Nicole Hardman uh, Mickens is an is an okay like returner for Tampa Bay but Nicole Hardman I know he had a fumble which gave Buffalo their touchdown uh, in the first quarter uh, in the AFC championship game but he's just so fast and that that's the one thing I look for in a returner is is the speed because it's just the speed and the vision is just so crucial to being a uh, returner. And then when it comes to kicking, uh, I don't know. There's just Ryan Suckup. He's like a journeyman. I mean, he's – I just – I don't know if I, like, trust him. Like, Harrison Bucker, I feel like, has consistently been one of the better kickers in the league. He he missed a field goal uh, against um, <coughs> the Browns. Sorry. Um, but <coughs> – <coughs> I feel like he's consistently Corona. one. Of, are you are you okay, sir? Yeah, I'm fine. He's consistently one of the better kickers in the league. Uh, so I go edge to Kansas City uh, on special teams. Yeah, I I would tend to lean that way as well. Um, in addition to the threat of Hardman, I, I do like Bucker a lot better than I like uh, Ryan Suckup. I think he's a significantly better kicker. Um, he's been nails throughout the year, and. You know, I, I don't think kicking and punting should be an issue. The Super Bowls in Tampa Bay, it should be a, a fine environment, barring some significant wins. Um, and, and like Jonathan said, you get one of the fastest guys in the league back there. He can break one in a blur. Mickens is a good returner, but Hardman has the potential to be a great returner. And kicking the ball to him is dangerous because he's he's bootlegged Tyreek Hill with the ball on his fence. Yeah, I'm I'm going. So I am going Kansas City, like Jonathan. Uh, for me, it's just when you when you look at the two return game units, 
Tampa Bay actually has one of the bottom five return coverage units in the league, both whether it's punt return, kick returns, whether they're returning them or covering the returns, while the Chiefs have one of the better ranked ones in the league, top five. Uh, so with me thinking the kicking and punting games are kind of a wash, uh, I have to go Kansas City because Tampa Bay has just done so poorly in covering uh, return k- kicks uh, over the course of the season. So for me, got to go Kansas City. So M- Mike, talking about matchup to watch for now, who or what is your matchup to watch for in this game? So player or a matchup to watch for in this one? So I think the matchup to watch for on the field Devin White versus Travis Kelsey. Kelsey has been the best tight end in football this year, like you were saying earlier. And Devin White is really the only guy on the defensive side of the ball who has not only the speed, but also the size to take him away. I'll be interested to see how Kansas City utilizes him, if they continue to use him as more of a run stopper, keeping guys out of the backfield in check, or if they decide Kelsey is the bigger threat this week, we're going to put you on him. He's going to be your matchup. Your job is to eliminate him as a threat. I want to see that matchup in particular and how Kelsey responds because he loves to just sit in the middle of the field, take those 10-yard curl routes, and maybe gain a few extra yards here or there and pick the defense part that way. Jonathan? Mine is going to be old man Rob Gronkowski <laughs> versus the Kansas City's uh, linebacker. So basically this is the reverse of what uh, Mike said. Uh, um, I have their box score pulled up here from when they're uh, – they played earlier this season. And did you know that Tampa Bay's leading receiver on six catches for 106 yards was Rob Gronkowski? Tampa Bay's leading receiver against Kansas City this year was Rob Gronkowski. So I'm interested to see. I mean, I feel like he, he had one catch in the uh, NFC Championship game. He's been very quiet uh, on their offense. So I'm interested to see if he'll get, you know, this is probably, this is probably his last game ever. Uh, so see if he can go out big. I mean, obviously Kansas City had trouble covering him before, so it'll be interesting to see if they have trouble uh, covering him again. I like it. Uh, it probably you are probably right. It it most likely is his final game, unless Brady can sweet talk him into one more year. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see on that. For me, the matchup to watch for is the Bucks pass rush versus the Chiefs O-line. We already talked about how banged up that Chiefs O-line is and how the grade of a pass rush this Bucks team has. Now, the Bucks blitz 38% of the time a quarterback drops back, and that's fifth most in the league. The problem is that Patrick Mahomes just so happens to lead the league in QBR against the blitz. He had a 96.8 QBR against the Blitz. That's out of 100. So nearly perfect when it comes to handling the Blitz. So I'm interested to see, will the Bucks look to roll the dice and exploit a banged up Chiefs O-line with pressure like they normally would? Or are they going to rely on their edge rushers to get home and bring pressure? Maybe only rush three or four most of the time and drop more people back into coverage and hope that guys like JPP and Shaquille Barrett can get home off the edge, kind of contain Mahomes into the pocket 
with Sue and Vita Vey coming up the gut and pray that that's enough so that they can have seven, seven guys back in coverage. That's, I think that's, that's going to be key here. Uh, I think the Bucks will probably stay true to their identity, which means you're going to constantly see them dialing up some sort of blitz, but it's just going to be, can the secondary hold up enough long enough for that the pass rush to hit home? Um, Jonathan, what do you think will be the difference in this game? Like X factor, so to speak. I think that it will come down to, and this is very generic, but it will come down to the Bucks defense versus Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. When they played in their first matchup, just absurd stats for both of them. Patrick Mahomes was 37 of 49 for 462, three touchdowns and no interceptions. And Tyreek Hill had maybe the best game I've ever seen by a wide receiver in my life, having 13 for 269, three touchdowns on 15 targets. I believe he actually had 200 yards in the first quarter, if I remember right. And uh, At least just, in the first half. Just absurd. I don't expect them – I don't expect Tyreek Hill, at least, to post those type of numbers. But Kansas City only won by three, and Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill put up those numbers. Which signals to me that, you know, maybe if the Bucks defense can and this is where it's so absurd of what Patrick Mahomes is doing, I would consider it a win for the Tampa Bay Bucks if they can keep Mahomes under three hundred and fifty yards passing in this game. That would be a win for me as a if I was rooting for the Bucks. So that is my key matchup. I think if Mahomes goes over four hundred, the Kansas City has it in the bag. Mike? Well, before I give my X Factor, let's not pretend like we don't all know who you're rooting for, Jonathan. If I was rooting for the Bucks, <laughs> says Mr. Go Bucks the entire 2020 season. Go Bucks from week one on. Hey, we haven't got to you, my you don't have to, we haven't got to my uh, pred- predictions yet. <laughs> uh, that's that's when the emotions will come out, right? Um so my X Factor for this game, Tampa Bay's running game and playoff Lenny. If you look at the two Chiefs wins this postseason, when they beat the Bills, the Bills relied solely on the passing game, and they got annihilated in that aspect. They couldn't keep up with Kansas City because you can't win in a shootout with them. You can't win where you and Mahomes are trading off and maybe having the same time of possession or even giving them more. The Browns, and yes, Mahomes did get hurt. The Browns did a much better job, though, on the whole game planning. They kept out of Mahomes' hands, and they dominated on the ground behind Nick Chubb. If the Buccaneers and that massive O-line can get going on the ground, giving Fournette some carries, giving Jones some carries, and establishing the running game early, keeping that incorporated all the way until late in the fourth quarter, they're going to have a chance in this football game. Kansas City's defense has to find a way to force, and I know this is hilarious, but they have to force Tom Brady to beat them. I know that sounds like a bad idea, but that's what's worked for them is forcing other teams to beat them through the air. So for me, it's, it's Tampa Bay's running game is going to be the deciding factor in this one. I, I, I would tend to agree. I, I harped on, on t- Tampa's running game last week. And so what I think will be the difference is also something I touched on last week. And that is the Bucks defense turn, turning the ball over. 
So can the Bucks continue to force turnovers and convert them into touchdowns? I think that's going to make or break their chances in this one going up that against that vaunted KC offense. The, the Tampa Bay defense has forced seven turnovers this postseason, and the offense has converted them into six touchdowns for 41 points. That's that's crazy amount of points off of turnovers, so to speak. The problem here is that the Chiefs have only turned the ball over twice this postseason and 18 times in the entire season in 18 games. That's one turnover a game. That's outstanding job of keeping the ball and being protective of the ball. So something's got to give here. So again, I, I don't, I think it's Tampa Bay's turnover luck. I don't think they're going to be able to force Mahomes into making poor decisions and bad throws. They might pick him off once. They might strip sack him once. I can definitely see maybe a pair of turnovers, but I don't think it's, they're going to be turning over Mahomes left and right. And even if they do, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get touchdowns left and right off of those turnovers. So it's going to be key for the, the Bucks offense to be able to make drives and sustain them. They, they're not going to be able to just turn the ball over, get short fields and turn it into touchdowns. That's not going to happen. So you, the offense is going to have to be able to sustain drives and put, find the end zone consistently to keep up with Kansas city. But if, if Tampa Bay is able to turn the chiefs over and make it life easy on Brady and co, then I would like the Bucks chances in this one. So let's move on to our game picks. I know Mike, we already sort of started to spoil uh, where we're picking sides already. Um, Kansas city is favored by three and a half currently. And the over under is set at 56 and a half. So what I'm looking for you guys from is I want, what are you taking for the spread? What do you got on the over under? Who do you think is going to be the Super Bowl MVP? And a game score who wins outright. Jonathan, go ahead. All right. My heart, I've been rooting for the Tampa Bay Bucks all year. I've been on them since day one. I was ridiculed by some people. Uh, me, Nick, DS, we've been on the train for a while. And my heart wants them to win so much. But my head simply says they're not the better team. So for that reason, I will always stay true to my head. I will pick Kansas City to repeat as Super Bowl champions. 56 points is such an absurdly high number for an NFL spread that I just simply cannot take it. <laughs> I... I feel like this just streams under. It will it will probably be like 40-40 now that I say that. But I will take the under in this game. I I don't know if I've seen 56 like in an NFL game this season. I mean that is that is extremely high. 
so for my score prediction, I will go Kansas City 27, Tampa Bay 23, uh, which adds up to 50, gives me my under. And for Super Bowl MVP, this is going to be very basic, but the quarterback, I feel like, wins Super Bowl MVP like at least 85% of the time in the Super Bowl. It just has to be Patrick Mahomes, unless Tyreek Hill has a game like he did before, which I don't expect him to. So I will go Casey under 27-23, Mahomes MVP. Yeah. Um, so before I get into my picks, oh, and I guess, Kansas City wait, actually was. Can I, I guess that would mean I forgot to go say ahead. that Kansas City covers in that uh, scenario. With the yeah, three and a half. I, I, yeah, we got you, Jonathan. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So Kansas City actually was involved in a game this year where they did clear 56 points. That loss to the Raiders, they lost 40 to 32, which was a total of 72 points. So they have been involved in absurd point totals before. Um, and I think their offense is the driving factor as well as the way the Bucks played behind such a high point total. Um. I'm with Jonathan on this one. I, I want to see Tom get a seventh. I do. I haven't been on it since the beginning. I came on really late. Um, I want him to end the GOAT debate forever. I, I don't see them beating the Chiefs. The, Ch- the Chiefs are a wagon. They don't lose games where they really, really put 110% into it when they fall asleep at the wheel on defense. Maybe they give up a ton of points and lose, but th- that doesn't happen. I mean, there were videos this past Sunday from when Hardman dropped that punt and they got down 9 nothing, and all the guys were on the sidelines pumping him up, getting him ready to go. He scores a touchdown, has a 50-yard run. Next thing you know, they end up beating the Bills by 14 and the game stretches a lot more than that. Um, I think Kansas City is going to win by, by a decent margin. With regards to the over-under, life is way too short to bet the under. Give me the over. Give me the points. I love 56 and a half. I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to, I think it's going to be a late, possibly a late, you know, backdoor over under, but I think they're going to hit the over. I have Kansas City winning, Kansas City covering. Final score 38 to 28. That gives me a points total of 66. I think they clear the over by nine and a half points. And who's the Super Bowl MVP? Uh, right, I forgot. Um, Patrick Mahomes. Sorry to be boring as well, but it's it's. It, yeah, we're really going out on wins here. Like, <laughs> like I, I. What do you want me to say? The guy, the guy's going to throw for like four fifty and four TDs. He's probably going to win MVP. Yeah, you know, can't can't blame you there. Uh, so before I get into mine, uh, Kansas City is actually eight and ten against the spread this season, which makes them only the fifth team ever to reach the Super Bowl with a losing record against the spread of the previous four uh, only one went on to win the Super Bowl and that was the 2012 Baltimore Ravens Uh, favorites are 27 25 and 2 all time in Super Bowls against the spread and the over under is actually dead even at 26 26 and 1 and unsurprisingly 10 and 10 in the past 20. So 
I kind of have to piggyback you guys here. I I want to play devil's advocate and just just say the Bucks will find a way to do it and that Brady will orchestrate some magical drive, conjure up the, the magic one last time for his seventh championship. But for the reasons that we've talked about, I just don't know if he's going to have that opportunity. I have the Chiefs winning 38-30, to 30, which means they will cover the three-and-a-half-point spread which means I also have the over. I, I, as good as the Bucks' defense has been at times, they've also been lackadaisical, as you guys have mentioned, with penalties and, and careless mistakes at times. Um, so I think the Chiefs could be ripe to exploit that again. I know the first game was close, and that was despite, like Jonathan said, Mahomes and Tyreek Hill having monster games. So I can definitely see Tampa Bay competing a one score game and perhaps even winning. But I just think when it boils down to it, Mahomes is just a freak of nature at this position in terms of what he brings to the table. And for that reason, I will make it Mahomes all around for Super Bowl MVP. However, I will say that if this is a lower scoring game, like Jonathan, I believe your score was like what? 27, 20, yeah, 27, 23. Very I think close to the original. I think if it's lower scoring like that, you're probably not going to have the type of yardage numbers that you saw in the regular season matchup. And it's possible that Mahomes has a quieter day under 300 yards, maybe two touchdowns. And one of the skill position players like Kelsey or Hill will have a big day despite Mahomes not necessarily having monster numbers. So I think it is possible, but it would have to be on the lower scoring side of things for uh, a non quarterback to win, in my opinion. Uh, So Mahomes is, Obviously, the favorite in our eyes. He's the favorite in odds makers' eyes to win Super Bowl MVP. Brady is second, followed by Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Leonard Fournette. Now, can I, can I raise a hypothetical for you, Tim? Yes, go ahead. Do you think it's more advantageous for the Bucks or Kansas City that these two teams already played once this year? I would I would say Tampa because they're the team that's kind of growing together on the fly this season. They're, they're still trying to put it all together. I know that they it seemingly they have put it all together. So I'll I'll revise that that statement. But to be able to see the Chiefs on film against themselves, not just carving up the rest of the league and being able to see what worked with their defensive blitzes, their packages, personnel, and what didn't, I think that helps the Bucks more than the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I, w- I would tend to agree with that. Um, you know, you've already given up 203 yards to Tyree Kill in a single quarter, so you can't do much worse than that. And at this, at this point, you know 
where you got exploited in that quarter and how to at least reduce the risk of that happening. I'm not sure you can eliminate it because of how good Hill is. Um, but, th- but they know where they screwed up last time. They have the information on tape and the highlights to, to see where they can make adjustments, where they can be better this time around. Kansas City, I, I feel like it wouldn't have mattered as much. They, they're just that good. They, what, they could have played him. They could have not played him. What do you think, so, Jonathan? Yeah. I agree with you guys. I think it's an advantage for the Bucs. Uh, just like Mike said and you said, I think the way they played Kansas City, obviously last time did not work at all. They got completely exposed by Terry Hill to epic proportions. And uh, I know that Tom – I feel like Tom Brady does more – work than any other quarterback ever when it comes to film and stuff like that. So I think it's an advantage for him uh, seeing Kansas City's defense less than Mahomes because I think Mahomes is just so stupidly naturally gifted that it really doesn't matter what the defense shows him. He can he can beat him. Yeah. All right. So I think I've saved the best for last year now that we've broken down uh, all the different aspects of the game. It's the Super Bowl prop bets. Just the best part of the game when your team isn't involved. Easily the best part. So I went through and compiled a list of prop bets that you can find via Bovada. Uh, And I'm going to go right through them and we're going to see what we think of them all. So starting off with the coin toss. Tails has historically had a slight edge. It is 29, 25, and 1 all time. And both have minus 105 odds. So, fellas, heads or tails? Tails never fails. Fandy. Give me heads. Give me heads. (laughs) Ah, boo. Boo. We are a Tails podcast. No, we are. Not, we're not going to keep doing this where we agree on everything. Somebody's got to be different. Give me heads. Oh no, we'll we'll disagree on something. I I I I'm sure of it. <laughs> All right, the national anthem over under a minute fifty nine. Now let me get before I get your responses. Let me let me just break it down a little bit for you guys. The over is listed at minus one ten. The under is actually the favorite. Slight favorite at minus 130. Uh, You got Eric Church and Jasmine Sullivan doing the anthem. My namesake. uh, (laughs) Which, uh, if they are both on vocal, would be the first collab on the anthem since 2006 when you had Aretha Franklin and Aaron Neville. Uh, And their collab anthem went two minutes nine seconds however uh if it's just jasmine sullivan on vocals for the anthem her previous anthems historically go about a minute 43 so you basically are rolling the dice of whether you think it's going to be a a a collab or if church will just be on guitar the whole time so jonathan over under a minute 59 on the anthem i am going with the over because eric church i i am fairly certain little mike you might have to back me up here eric church is a country singer yes 
I just think country singers and the United States national anthem, it just screams he's going to drag it out and, you know, go all out for the national anthem. And I just, I, I like the over. I think if it, uh, Ryan, if it was just the girl, uh, my, my long lost cousin, uh, I think that I would take the under. But the country singer and the national anthem, I got to take the over. Mike, man, this is this one's this one's tough. Oh, because when you said that stat about about her being that short, I was like, man, how do I take the over now? But but then Jonathan makes the good point of these country singers with their anthems, man. They love dragging these things. You get you get to hold that note at the end, and you can just keep playing the guitar for an extra couple of seconds, drag it out. Ah. Oh. God, you, you give me the over. I, I want a two-minute <laughs> anthem. I, I think he's going to do it. I think Church is going to sing with her. I think he's going to drag it out with the guitar. I think we might see them clear 209. Ooh, wow. Now that, that's, that's a ballsy bet wow. if you go 209. Yeah. I bet you could get some decent odds on that, Mike. Um, damn it, I have to agree with you guys. I think that the, it's all, the country – there's no way that they're not going to both sing. Like – there's no way you're going to have the opportunity to do, play the national and do the national anthem and not sing at the Super Bowl. Come As on. a country singer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no way you just sit there and play guitar the whole time while somebody else sings it for you. No way. Take the over. They're going to have to swap off on the lyrics and they're going to drag it out like you guys said. Take the over. All right. This one might be the most important one. I'm talking about the puppy bowl. You got team fluff versus team rough, both listed at minus 120. Mike, who you got? Team fluff or team rough? Love me some team fluff. Team fluff for life. Jonathan, please. I'm riding with, I'm riding with team rough. Yeah, Fendi. We are team go. rough stands on this. Mike, you get, you're you're making an enemy of yourself here. Team Fluff is soft. I mean, just the name says it all. They're yeah. soft. Fendi. Fendi. They aren't ready for the moment. Nah, team when get, rough. When all the dome day. gets tough. Dogs are so, dogs are supposed to be loving and soft and cuddly. Give give nah. me team fluff. When the going gets tough, the rough get going. Let's go team rough. <laughs> Oh, Team Fluff's gonna. That's a that's a real quote, actual quote right they're there. Gonna, oh, they're gonna just God. fall over. Facts. <laughs> All right, uh, a little bit more serious here. Uh, longest score of the game will it be a touchdown or a field goal? Touchdown is the favorite at minus one twenty-five. Field goal, however, is only slightly behind at minus one fifteen. I think this is a touchdown because I just don't see the first score of the game or even the first drive of the game ending in a field goal. I think someone's finding Bader to start the scoring off or the longest scoring. Somebody's going to hit a big play. Somebody is going to hit a big play, and I don't think it's going to be a field goal. I think the longest field goal will probably be 46 I think you can find a big play TD out of the Chiefs in this one. I'm going. Yeah, um, go ahead, John. I'm going field goal actually. 
I think that uh, Tampa Bay, they had some uh, – that Scotty Miller play was a pretty big play uh, the week before, and the Mike Evans touchdown wasn't half bad. But they're not really a big play offense. Obviously, Kansas City is the big, the big play offense. But the way that, as we mentioned earlier, Tyree Hill just undressed that Tampa Bay secondary with huge plays in their first game, I think you're going to see a very much more conservative – limit the big plays from Tampa Bay's defensive style. So for that reason, I just don't – I think that you're not going to see many plays, if any, you know, getting up to their 35, 40 yards. And I think you're bound to have some field goal, 45-plus. So give me the field goal in this game. Uh, yeah, I'm with Ryan on this one. I I don't think there are going to be a lot of field goals in this game, period. In my score prediction, I only had one field goal getting kicked. Field goals don't beat the Chiefs, and the Chiefs don't kick a ton of field goals, especially when teams are trying to score touchdowns on them. And when you look, you got Tyreek Hill and Miko Hartman on one side. You got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and now known deep threat Scotty Miller on the other side, catching a 40-yard bomb TD on Sunday. One of these guys is going to break one. We're going to have a massive TD on Sunday. It's going to be a touchdown. Mm -hmm. All right. Will any scoring drive take less time than the time it takes to sing the national anthem. Yes, because the game's going to be if the game is especially in Will Mike's scenario where he thinks there's going to be like a backdoor cover or something like that. Since I have the over, I think you may have a, a scoring drive like in the fourth quarter to backdoor cover potentially where the clock's stopping when you're going out of bounds, you have 10 out of two minute warnings. I think that you do get at least one drive that's shorter than the national anthem. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, you know, in the first half, we're going to get a two minute drill. These are two of the best two minute quarterbacks in football. And, and if that over on that national anthem hits, that's a gimme. I mean, these guys can put up points like that. It, it's easy for them. We could see a, Hell, I, I think there could be a kick return touchdown in this game, so I don't know if that technically counts as a scoring drive. I don't think it does. But If you put points you know, on the board, maybe, field maybe goal or touchdown. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if you get a kick return touchdown, that, that's a seven-second drive, technically. I mean, the way Hardman runs, it's, it's seven seconds to the end zone. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think we're going to get a quick one in this game. Yeah. Uh, yes is minus 250. I'm actually going to go no with plus 170. Good value. Um, I, I think this is a, like you said, good value play just because either you have to have one of the teams in the two minute drill, or you have to have one of the teams coming off of a turnover with a short field to work with, or somebody just hits a big play at the start of their drive. And so I'm going to take the chance that they, that won't happen. And we'll go no plus 170. All right. Another another big question. What will happen to the price of Bitcoin during the Super Bowl? Will it go up or will it go down? Jonathan, I'll defer to you on this one. You're the Bitcoin right. expert here. As, as someone that owns, uh, that governs, excuse me, some Bitcoin, uh, I will predict that Bitcoin will unfortunately go down during the Super Bowl. Bitcoin has been trending down for the past couple weeks. They're in a bit of a bull market before, now they're in a bit of a bear market. And I would 
expect that to continue. Um, people might not realize this, but when the Super Bowl happens, uh, you will have the beginning of Monday morning in the biggest Bitcoin markets, which are the uh, East Asian markets. And I expect Bitcoin to go down uh, during the Super Bowl because I expect Bitcoin to go down a little bit every single day uh, on the beginning of the East Asian market uh, trading day. Now that's some insider info. Uh, they are the price to go down is actually plus one Oh five. So you'd have a little bit of value there. Um, will the total score be 76 or more to set the Super Bowl record? I know that we seem to be in agreement that that won't be the case. Um, but yes, is plus 400. No is minus 700. Would anyone here be tempted to take yes? Listen, if I had 10 bucks right, lying around, bet 10 to win 40, that, that's not bad odds. Yeah, I, mean, I was also thinking 10 or 20 to win 80, not half bad. Yeah. yeah. These two teams can put up points. If any teams could do it, it could be these two teams. So, I mean, I don't think it's a half bad play if you want to roll the dice. Uh, but obviously the safe bet is to just bet no, even though it's just horrendously uh, the f- just an overwhelming favorite. Either bet uh, yes or don't even bet it. It's exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, we're going to move on to the halftime show. So how many songs will be played at halftime over or under eight it's the weekend right it is the weekend doing the halftime show can i take a push uh if you want to but you'd you'd have no odds so jonathan (laughs) is not betting on this one mike would you bet on it god i think it's going to be the under just because there's not going to be a lot of fans there I, I really don't see him. I think he might get close to it. I think it might be six or seven. I don't see him clearing eight songs, though. There, there's not going to be a packed crowd. He's not going to have a reason to to perform all of, all of his stuff. He's going to perform his bigger hits, maybe a couple of oldies, but that's it. Under has plus 140, uh, so not a, not a bad way to go. I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to go under eight as well. Uh, what will be the first song played? Uh, the favorite by an overwhelming margin is Blinding Lights. Does anyone else think that – do we think that's a lock or any other suggestions for what he could go with for his first song? I would, I would go with Blinding Lights, but he could start off – he could finish with Blinding Lights potentially because that's like his biggest song. Uh, he may start – like heartless i could see him starting with heartless um but uh, yeah i would say blending lights is, is probably the way he's gonna start yeah i i don't see him going another way that's that's a good coming out song to to really begin the show and start it off on a good vibe it's it's his biggest hit um like jonathan said heartless is really the only other possibility it was the other big hit that he came out with and then he would finish with blinding lights um but He's probably going to start with Blinding Lights. But I also don't, you know what, a song I also don't hate him potentially coming out with is The Hills. That's, that starts off like kind of slow. Like I could see like a dark screen, like with that music, like starting off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Another, another dark horse, I think. 
maybe Starboy because it was the the, yes. ma- the name of his album. So I think he could come out like with that to shout out the album that he came out with that was so big. If he if he comes out with that one, then then the over might be in play because then he might start pulling stuff from that album and from older yeah. songs, and then we're in trouble. But. Yeah, so I actually have to correct myself. Starboy is the favorite for the first song to be played at plus 350. Uh, So that would seem to be the bet to go with. I will take a shot in the dark with uh, In Your Eyes for plus 450. Why the hell not? That one has a a decent sort of intro that you could work with. Not the craziest, but uh, I'm I'm I would roll the dice with that one. Uh, the overwhelming favorite to be the last song is Blinding Lights minus 240. So I read that wrong. Uh, blind, I think uh, it was Mike that you said Blinding Lights would be a good one to end on. Jonathan had said that one first, yeah. but yeah, I yeah. agree. But that was that was a possibility. I think um, the other dark horse that he could end with is Party Monster because that was a huge hit off that album and. And if there's anything that could somehow overtake Blinding Lights as the closer, that's probably the one to do it. All righty. Uh, first touchdown score of the game. Uh, Kelsey and Hill are the current favorites at plus 500. <sighs> Who's scoring the first touchdown? I got. I'm gonna. I would go with Daryl Williams to to score a touchdown on a short run after a big play for the Chiefs' first drive of the game at plus 1,600. Why not? Those aren't bad odds. Uh, I'm going to go on the flip side of that. Give me playoff Lenny. I love me some playoff Lenny. He's going to get the first touchdown of this game. The Bucks going to drive down the field. They're going to get the ball first. I think Kansas City will win the toss and defer. And uh, the Bucks will drive down. They'll get on the one-yard line. They'll hand the ball to the Beast to playoff Lenny. will score. They'll spike the ball before the Bucks get obliterated for the rest of the game. But playoff Lenny's getting that first touchdown. Um, call me crazy. Brady Sneak. Brady sneak. <laughs> Brady sneak. First touchdown of the they're game. Gonna, they're going to huck up some some bomb to Mike Evans. He's going to get dragged down in the end zone, put the ball on the one. Brady sneak. I, I do agree. I see if the Bucks win the toss, I see them taking the ball first to put some pressure on Kansas City. And if Kansas City wins the toss, I see them deferring as they did last week against Buffalo. So I think Tampa Bay starting with the ball no matter what. First drive. All right, and for total TDs, over under six and a half touchdowns for the game. They're equally both minus 115. Hammer the over. Hammer. (laughs) Uh, I have to take. I love the over in this one. These are high flying offenses. I have to take the under just simply based on my score prediction. I guess the 27-23, I, yeah. I guess technically I could have seven. I'm thinking yeah, Kansas City could score four and miss an extra point, and the Bucks should score three and have a safety, but or miss an extra point. But I would I think in my scenario that I have to take the under. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you have no choice, yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, I'm also taking the over based off of my score. Uh 
Second to last one. Who will the Super Bowl MVP mention first in their speech? Uh, teammates are the favorite at minus 120, followed by God or Jesus at plus 200. Uh, family at plus 550. Uh, si- the city of their team, plus 650. The coach or a coach at plus 1,000. The owner has odds at plus 2,000. Or you can take plus 900 for none of the above, which last year I believe hit because Patrick Mahomes, the first thing he referenced was going to Disney World. So I think based off of the fact that Mahomes could be the MVP again. And that last night time he was like, I'm going to Disney world. Yeah. I think you got to take plus 900, none of the above. Cause he's not going to mention his city that he did it for the city. He's not going to mention a coach or an owner first. He's probably not the type of person to praise the good Lord right off the bat or even go straight to family. So I think you're either looking at, he's going to shout out his teammates for how they played, or he's going to reference something else completely random. I think it's teammates is a favorite, but I just, I just can't see any other thing where, especially if, if the bucks win and Brady wins it, it's hundred percent team team first Uh, with Mahomes, I mean, his fiance is pregnant. He could he could shout her out in his his unborn child maybe, but I I the teammates is just I know it's the favorite, but I just can't envision any other thing different from both of those guys. They don't strike me as like ego driven. Like like if Aaron Rodgers was in the Super Bowl, I wouldn't say that he says his teammates first, but those two guys, especially Brady, if he wins. Uh, we'll be going team first. Uh, I'm going to go God on this one. Um, I know he didn't do it last year, but he's not going to Disney World this year because Disney World's not open for him to go to, I'm pretty sure. Um, or at least I don't think he'd be going in the middle of the pandemic with a pregnant wife, like you just said. Uh, so I think he's going to start with, I just want to thank God. And that's probably, and then he'll go into his teammates and talk about all the work they put in. But I think this time around, he's going to give the generic speech and thank God first because it's going to be his second in a row and he's just going to want to get the speech over with. So that's the way to start it and get it over with faster. See, here's the thing, though. If, if you're the type of person that thanks God and Jesus Christ right off the bat, you do it all the time. You start off every interview or every speech with, with that. He didn't do that last year. I can't see him doing it this year. I don't think that's, that's his thing. So I, I just I gotta go with he says he he mentioned something completely other uh, random first here. Can I add one more thing though? Now that I was just thinking, mm-hmm. I can actually see if Brady wins. I know I said teammates. I can see City of Tampa getting the first shout out in Tampa. New team like Tampa Bay. Thanks for having me. Like when I came here, I knew we had a goal to accomplice type of type of speech if you know what i mean yeah 
I could see that. Um, but it would probably be have to be him. Um, yeah, Brady always shouts out his parents at the very end of his of his speeches. Uh, that's normally how he finishes. Yeah. So I, he definitely won't go parents first. All right. And last but not least, what color will the first liquid, a.k.a. the Gatorade shower, be that is poured on the head coach? Now, there have been a couple of instances where the head coach was able to avoid – getting the shower and so no action everything everything got pushed off and didn't nothing played but orange has hit five of the past 11 years including last year for kansas city and since 2001 the color of the gatorade shower has only matched the winning team's color three times so with that in mind Orange is the favorite, plus 150, followed by lime green or yellow at plus 230. You got red, plus 300, blue at plus 700, uh, purple at plus 750, and then uh, the asinine choice of clear or water, so just a straight ice bath uh, at plus 800. Mike, what, what are you? where are we going here? I actually like on this one. I know it's typically not the same color. Both of these teams are red, though. So I think that if there's going to be a Gatorade bath to rub it, like, you know, either team is red. So if you're going to be like, huh, we're the better red team. So I don't know. It, it just makes sense to me. It's like, not only did we beat you, we are the better team with the same color scheme. So I, I do I do red if I'm, if I'm giving my winning coach a Gatorade bath. I have Kansas City winning this game. I have a feeling that potentially Kansas City has orange Gatorade for all their games. If they had it last year, I think they might be like consistent with their Gatorade. So I will go orange Gatorade again. Solid Gatorade flavor, not as good as blue, but it's okay. <laughs> um, I, I agree with the both of you. I think it's either orange or red. And I think I'm going to go red here for partially for the reason that Mike said. It's the safe play because both teams are red, despite the fact that history shows us doesn't really matter what team your color, what color your team is. Um, but I'm gonna say that the Chiefs switch it up and they decide to go red this year for their Gatorade shower. Should they win it all? Uh, that's gonna do it for this episode of Fixin' to Talk Sports. Make sure. You check out the other podcast under the mouth and off umbrella, uh, namely the aforementioned at the start of this podcast. You got Foxborough Files and the Cool Zone Pod, as well as the original mouth and off show itself. I am your host, Ryan Brown, and we will see you next time. Dan, play the music. <laughs>